in Matthew chapter 5, just as we spend our second week in a new sermon series that we have entitled, But First, a study of the priorities of Jesus. As we begin a new school year, kids are back in school, we start new programs here at the church, there are many activities that start up in our community with the beginning of school, and so it's a good time for us to think about our priorities. Because there are a lot of things we could do, and so we have to prioritize them in order to decide how we're going to invest our time. And as we think about our priorities as followers of Jesus, it would be important for us to ask the question, well, what are the priorities of Jesus? What priorities would Jesus have for me? as we get started, as we're making decisions about what we're going to do. And if you read the gospel accounts, Jesus has this way of talking about priorities all the time. You may not have noticed it before, but I think once we start going through this sermon series, you're going to begin to see it and recognize it more and more. Like, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at it next week. And Jesus says, look, you're worried, you're anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Uh, and he says, look, your heavenly Father knows that you need those things, so you don't have to worry. But first, seek the kingdom. And then all those things will be added to you as well. Jesus is setting priorities when he talks that way. Or in two weeks, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 7, and he's talking to his followers. He's saying, you want to go and correct someone who's in the wrong. And he says, that's good. You should go and do that. But first, take the log out of your own eye so that you can see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's setting priorities. And here in Matthew chapter 5, the verses I'm going to read in just a moment, Jesus gives an illustration and he says, you might be in church worshiping, which is a really important thing. You might even be giving, you're, you're making gifts to God, which I noticed we didn't even pass an offering plate today. We do have the black boxes by the door. You can give online. But he says, you may be giving and offering, you're bringing your gifts or your sacrifice to God. And you remember that your brother has something against you. And Jesus says, it's good that you're there, that you're giving to God, and those things are important. But first... Go be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift to God. Again, Jesus is setting priorities. And in this passage that we're looking at today, he's setting a priority on being reconciled with one another. Jesus is putting a priority on settling a quarrel or a dispute, not allowing those things to fester. Jesus puts a priority on being in right relationship with one another. And as we read the text, i got to warn you, Jesus puts an urgent priority on dealing with anger in our hearts and the insults that flow from our mouth. So I'm going to read verses 21 through 24 of Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to pray for us, and we'll dive in and look at these things together as we allow Jesus to set priorities for us. Hear now God's word, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us in your word about the priorities that we should have. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that we could hear you speaking, that you would give us understanding of these words, and that you would help us to walk in your ways, to walk as becomes a follower of Jesus, that our priorities would be your priorities and what we would want for ourselves and for our families, we would want what you want. And we just pray that you would come and that you'd be willing to do that now and that you'd be willing to use even the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher to accomplish your purposes and your people. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When Jesus taught these verses that we just read, when he was teaching his followers in this way, he was responding to some teaching on the sixth commandment that folks were teaching at that time. Now, you might recall the sixth commandment is do not murder. And there were folks who were teaching, as long as you don't physically kill anyone, then you have fulfilled the law of God. And Jesus here says, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't understand. God's law goes much further than just this outward act of killing someone. Jesus explains that God's law condemns not only those outward acts of violence or a murder, but also inward anger and insults that show our contempt for life. Jesus says not only should we avoid murder, but we should urgently seek peace and seek to settle disputes and quarrels quickly. You see it there in verse 21. Look at it again with me. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus is quoting those folks who had been teaching on the sixth commandment. You have to understand that at this time, the children of Israel had been in exile for some time. They have finally come back into the promised land. They're still ruled over by the Romans, and most of them don't read Hebrew anymore. They don't speak Hebrew. They speak Aramaic. And so the few folks who can, the experts, the teachers of the law, who can actually read the Hebrew law that was given to Moses are teaching them and saying, hey, as long as you don't, kill anyway that's why he said you have heard that it was said because they can't read the hebrew and so he says you've heard you've been told you've heard it said that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment and that's the extent of what's going on but you see in verse 22 jesus explains further right he says i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, a reference to the Sanhedrin, the highest council, that just insulting somebody would make you liable to the highest court. 
And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is explaining here that it's not just physical violence or murdering somebody, that anger can make us liable to judgment, and insults can make us subject to the hell of fire. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he broaden the commandment in this way? Why would he say that God requires more? Well, of course, the reason is because anger and insults are the very attitudes and actions that lead to murder. Anger and insults show the condition of our heart. And when anger or insults are present in us, then they show that we have the ugly symptoms of a desire to get rid of someone, which is the very thing that the sixth commandment prohibits. Perhaps you recall in Matthew 15 when Jesus is talking to a group of folks and they say, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus said, you don't understand. It's not what a man puts in his mouth that makes him unclean. That's not where uncleanness comes from. Jesus says uncleanness is in his heart. And what comes out of the mouth of of a man is just a reflection of what's in his heart. And so he says, murder and slander come out of the overflow of the heart. That they're reflections of what is in the heart of man. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And what that means for us is that if you see anger in your heart or you have insults coming out of your mouth, then Jesus is saying, you better act fast, that you're in a dangerous place. And Jesus gives two illustrations to show that it's urgent that we deal with anger and insults quickly. You see those illustrations in verses 23 to 26. Let's look at them together. Beginning in verse 23, Jesus says, so if, so this is the implication of what he had been teaching. He's illustrating it now. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison truly i say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny let's look at these illustrations and hear what jesus is saying to us that second illustration in verse 25 he begins with come to terms quickly that's the main point that he's making He's saying that when you have anger, when you have insults, when there's a dispute, when there's a quarrel, when you're out of sorts with someone, that you need to seek to come to terms quickly. And notice, he's been talking before about a brother. If you remember, your brother has something against you, as in the first illustration, but this one is your accuser, your translation may say your adversary, your enemy. This is broader than just within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is broadening it. It's not just with other Christians. We're called to put a priority on reconciliation and on resolving a dispute quickly when dealing with anyone, not just those in the church. And that's why Romans 12, down around verse 18 says, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That's all mankind in Romans 12 and verse 18. So you hear what the scripture tells us, live at peace with all men, that we're supposed to seek reconciliation with all men, not just those who are within the household of faith. And the apostle Paul there says, as far as it depends on you, the scripture understands that we may not be reconciled to everyone. But God says, as far as it depends on you, seek reconciliation with all people. Then this first illustration shows just how important, how urgent a priority Jesus makes this reconciliation. In this first illustration, Jesus begins to say, imagine you, he's putting you in the place of the person, and he's talking to a group of largely Jewish people. And he says, imagine you were in the solemn act of sacrifice. At the very altar of God, offering a gift to God in the temple, which they did as a payment for their sin. That's what they're at the altar doing. That's what they've come to the temple to do. They're offering a gift to God in the temple. and They may have traveled a long way at great expense to get there. And so this original audience of largely Jewish people would be thinking to themselves, surely at that moment, nothing is more important than offering this sacrifice to God. That that would surely be the most important thing. And Jesus says, hold on, there is something more important. Leave your gift at the altar and first go be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Jesus is first be reconciled to your brother. Reconciliation is the priority that Jesus is setting up here. And he says it is urgent to settle a quarrel or a dispute. That it's urgent that we quickly repair a friendship. Now many Christians, if you've been in the church and you've heard good teaching, you may say to yourself at this point, yes, I know, if someone sins against me, then I'm to go to that person and tell him of his fault just between the two of us, and then if he won't listen, then I get other people involved. And you are correct, that is what Jesus says in Matthew 18. That if someone sins against you, then you should go to them. That is not what he's saying here in Matthew 5. He's not saying if someone sins against you. He says, if you're there at the altar and you realize your brother has something against you, right? Not that they've sinned against you. It, the, presumably, he's referring to if we've sinned against them. And if you really take his words, if a brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. We may have sinned and we may not have sinned. But Jesus says to go and to seek re reconciliation regardless of which side is in the wrong. So if somebody has sinned against you, yes, Matthew 18 would say to go to that person. Or if you've sinned against them, Matthew 5 certainly would say you should go and be reconciled. Jesus sets that as a priority. 
Now, we don't usually believe or act like this is as important as Jesus seems to think that it is. We often think, well, it could wait. Let's let them cool off a little bit. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. But sometimes we use that as an excuse not to have to have an uncomfortable conversation with people. It's uncomfortable to go and to talk with folks about hard things. But God is saying here, if you want to make a sacrifice for me, then go get right with your brother. That's what I want. The, the higher priority for me is that you mend relationships, that you settle a quarrel or dispute whether you're the one in the wrong or not. We must become more sensitive to anger and insults because Jesus says they create an urgent situation. So we've got to be more sensitive to our anger and to our insults and to our being out of sorts with the people around us. Now, you may be thinking to yourself right now, you may be thinking, hey, listen, is anger always sin? Isn't there such a thing as righteous anger? I was talking to a pastor. He's not here in town. He's out of town. But I was talking to him, and he was talking about dealing with his elders, actually. And he said, this one elder has a problem with his anger, and he just snaps, and he goes off. But every time I try to go and talk with him about it, he always says, well, it's a righteous anger. Listen, if your anger every time is a righteous anger, then you probably are not evaluating the situation correctly. That you always handle anger perfectly. Yes, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Yes, there is a distinction between anger and sin. God, who is without sin, does show wrath. Jesus, who is God in the flesh and without sin, showed flashes of anger. So anger is not always a sin, which is why Ephesians 4 and verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Because there's a distinction. You can be angry and not sin. That can happen. But notice a couple of things. First, notice... That God, who does show righteous anger, is slow to anger. If you're quick-tempered, if you have a short fuse, that is not the kind of righteous anger that God shows. God is slow to anger. And if we are able to be righteous in our anger, it's going to be a situation where we are slow to anger as well. So first, notice that God's slow to anger, but second, notice that even in the text, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not sin, why is he warning them about that? Because anger easily leads to sin. Because if you are angry, you're in a dangerous place. It is easy to slip into sin. Do you know the rest of that verse? Do you know what it says? Ephesians 4 and verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Right? He's saying deal with it quickly. The same thing Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it fester. Deal with it quickly. And then he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. 
even this verse, which is saying anger is not necessarily sin, it does say deal with it quickly, and when you're angry, the devil uses it as an opportunity to lead you into sin. So no, anger is not always a sin. But boy, if you're angry, you need to be careful, because anger can be a danger. It can make us liable to judgment. Sometimes we lose our cool, and we don't say things the way that we should. We don't treat people the way that we should because of our anger. So Jesus says it is urgent that we deal with our anger quickly. So when we lose our temper on someone, we cannot just act like that did not happen. Or we can't just buy them a gift or do something nice for them without ever apologizing or acknowledging that we did anything wrong. Maybe you grew up in a house where that's the way things went. Something blew up. Everybody went to their neutral corners, didn't talk for a while, and then eventually you come back together but never really acknowledged what happened before. If it's really bad, maybe the person gives you a gift or something but never really admits that what they did was wrong. Why is it important to admit that it was wrong? Why is that not a good way to handle things? Well, because anger is a danger in our own hearts. It can make us liable to judgment, so we need to confess that, that we've been angry, that angry, anger does drive us to do things we shouldn't do. And not acknowledging how we've mistreated another person can lead to bitterness or they're avoiding us, or they're holding back in certain areas and just not talking to us about those things because they don't want to set us off. And then all of a sudden we don't have the closeness in our relationship. There are some things that we just can't talk about together because of these loud, angry outbursts. And so we don't have as deep of a relationship and that's exactly what Jesus wants to prevent, right? He's putting a priority on being in a right relationship with people where we can talk about things with one another without losing our cool. In fact, some of us use anger in that way, don't we? That I'm going to make it so unbearable for you to talk to me about this issue that you just won't talk to me about this issue anymore. It's wrong and it's dangerous to our relationships and it can make us liable to judgment. Of course, it's not just loud, angry outbursts that hurt our relationship with other people, is it? Sometimes we can be really, really angry and really, really quiet. We can be cold. We can hold on to a grudge. We can nurse that grudge to the point that it creates distance in our relationships. If we've been hurt, we need to speak up. We need to move toward one another. We need to have conversations and not allow those distance, that distance to come into our relationships because Jesus puts a priority on reconciliation. We must become more sensitive to our anger and our insults because Jesus says they create an urgent situation. Where do we struggle with anger and insults the most? I would love community groups, if you get to talking about the sermon, if you're just catching up with each other and praying for each other, I understand. But if you get to a discussion, I would love for you to talk about 
where do we struggle most with our anger and our insults? Because we need to spot those things in order to be on to ourselves. I, I thought about just a few. Where do we most struggle with our anger and our insults? Number one, have you read what we write online? <laughs> I mean, it shows anger and insults. You fool that Jesus talks about here is mild compared to what we say to people online. And listen, Jesus says here that that makes us liable to the fires of hell. Let me just say, if, you've, if this is your first time here and you're hearing me preach, and you're like, oh, this is one of those hell and fire and brimstone guys, I am so not one of those guys. And if you've been here, you know that. If you're unsure, go back and listen to the other sermons. I don't like talking about hard things like this. But no good pastor would allow their flock to continue in anger and insults if it subjects them to something so awful. The gracious thing is to warn people which is what Jesus is doing with his followers, and it's what I'm doing with you right now. I seldom talk about hellfire, but what I am committed to do is to say and to always teach what this book says. And what Jesus says here is that insults, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. When we say things about people, uh, really the you fool part is just you're, you're empty-headed. You don't matter. We'd be better off without you. That's exactly the kind of thing that the Sixth Commandment prohibits. We would be better without you. What good are you? You have no value. That kind of contempt that we show in our insults. When we say things about people that are untrue or one-sided or mischaracterizations, that kind of untruth is slander and it's wrong and it subjects us to judgment. But even when we say insulting things that are true about people, when we do it behind their back because we don't have the guts to discuss it with them directly, even though it may be true, that's called gossip. And that's forbidden in the scripture as well. Read Romans 1 or 1 Timothy 5 or other places. We need to be careful with our anger and how we talk to one another. I tried to think, where else do I struggle with anger and insults? Surely you have some of the common struggles to me. How about sporting events? Watching one or attending one? I mean, wow. A high school football game, a college game, watching a game. We can get so irate when referees call penalties against our team. And that kind of anger and the insults that flow from it are wrong. And they make us liable to judgment over a game that for the most part we're watching kids play. What about driving a car? Well, I was hoping he wouldn't go there, right? If somebody's going too slowly, which we define as slower than I would like to go right now, but if somebody drives too slowly, if they don't use a blinker, 
if they pull out in front of us, if they cut us off in traffic, if they get a parking place that we would like, the anger and the insults that well up in us show that we would have that person removed from the face of the earth if we had the ability to at that moment. And that is exactly what Jesus is condemning here. That's why he relates it to the sixth commandment. It's like murder. I wish I could knock them off if I could. That's exactly the attitude and the action that Jesus is condemning, all from driving a car. Think about that. All because it's going to take me 12 minutes to get where I'm going when I'm used to it taking nine. Wow. What about our families? What about we stop giving examples? Now let's keep going. What about our families? Sometimes we talk the worst in our families to our spouses, to our children. Teachers, as we get familiar with kids, we can get to this place sometimes as well. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't correct our kids or that we shouldn't point out shortcomings in our spouses. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking you to think about is how you correct your kids or how you correct other people. Saying to someone, what you did was wrong, that's correction. And we should do that. What you did was wrong, that's correction, that's good. What's wrong with you is not correction. That's shame. What's wrong with you, that's insult. That's contempt. That's the kind of thing that makes us liable to judgment. Man, don't we wish all the sixth commandment required was to not physically murder anyone? That's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Boy, our hearts long to create a law that we can keep. However, Jesus says the sixth commandment also forbids anger and insults and contempt in our hearts because those things lead to murder. And that we should be people who are not only avoid murder and anger and insults, but we should be quick to pursue peace and reconciliation and urgently seek to settle disputes and quarrels. If your heart is anything like mine, you got to be thinking, man, i got a problem. And we do. We all have a problem. We fail at these things. But I want you to know, the same Jesus who sets priorities for us, the same Jesus who clarifies God's law for us, that same Jesus also perfectly kept God's law for us on our behalf. And he was willing to give his life as a ransom for those of us who are quick-tempered, for those of us who selfishly want, want what we want, and we take it out on other people when we don't get what we want when we want it Jesus paid the price for those sins the one who did not insult back the one who went to the cross bearing shame 
not returning insult for insult. The one who had the power to make someone cease to exist, but resisted from doing so for our sake, for you and for me. The resurrected Christ also gives his spirit to his people. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to more and more die to these sins and to more and more live like Jesus, who is slow to anger, who is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but desiring that we would all come to repentance. That we would admit the error of our ways and that we would turn to him. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that every moment of every day. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, these words are convicting. These are heavy words. But I thank you that you bore the cost. You, you paid the price for our sin. And that when we walk with you, the burden is easy and it's light. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would show us our need for a Savior, that we'd be quick to run to Jesus as we see our sin. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make us into the people that you would have us to be, that we would look more like Jesus who's slow to anger. Holy Spirit, for my friends who don't accept these things, who don't look to Jesus for salvation, I pray that they would see their need for him, that they would see their need for a Savior, and that they would long for you to come and to fill their hearts, that they may be people who look more like Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.